Hello, and thank you for joining us for episode one of Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights. My name is Marin Langdon Spillane, and before we get started, I wanted to tell you a few things about our show. Each episode will first be performed live on Zoom and will feature the artwork of a special guest artist whose illustration will come to life as you watch. Then, one week later, we will release that episode as a podcast, and you can listen wherever you like to find your podcast, just like you are now. This week's special guest artist is Colin Bright from Northfield, Vermont. He made an amazing illustration, and one that also happens to be a pretty great coloring page. You can download his illustration by following the link in the show notes, or by going to dirtroadtheater.com slash badpack. Now, one thing that I love about stories that you listen to is that everyone imagines the story a little bit differently. I know the pictures I have in my mind, but I love to see how other people imagine things. So I encourage all of you listeners to grab your favorite art supplies and draw anything that you're inspired to draw while you listen. Then you can share your drawing with us during one of our live shows or email us at Petra the dragon at gmail.com. And now we will begin Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights, Episode 1 The Egg. It all started in the beginning when they were babies. Well, the dragons weren't babies, they were eggs. And the fairies weren't babies either. Fairies are never babies. But the rest of them were the knights and the ponies. And in the beginning, when everyone was an egg, or a non-baby, or a baby, everyone was nice. But over time, little by little, so slowly that no one could say when, or how, or why it started, the fairies and the ponies got mean. Rumors spread across the land, rumors saying that the fairies and ponies were to blame for various things gone wrong, things gone missing. And before you knew it, it was common knowledge that the fairies and ponies were bad. The humans, of course, including the knights, had no idea. They thought the fairies and ponies were just great because everyone knows humans will love anything shiny or glittery or cute, especially if those things appear mostly cute but also a little bit fierce. The fairies and ponies were shiny and glittery and cute, and certainly... A little bit fierce. Beatrice knew this better than anyone because although she couldn't prove it yet, she knew that the fairies and ponies had stolen her egg. At first she hadn't believed it. Who would be so brazen as to steal a dragon's egg? It wasn't like lifting a chicken egg or two. I mean, what's a chicken going to do? But a dragon? You don't mess with a dragon, period. You especially don't mess with a mother dragon by stealing an egg right out from under her fire-breathing snout. At least that's how Beatrice felt about it, being a dragon herself. It wasn't the only egg. There were two. Dragons always lay two eggs at a time, but exactly one year ago, when she had returned to the carefully concealed nest within her lair, one of her eggs was gone. The fairies and ponies had taken it. It had to be them, Beatrice knew, because who else would dare? Besides, when the egg went missing, she had found hoofprints around the nest, and the flowers all around her lair were in full bloom, a sure sign of fairies. 
Beatrice was willing to overlook small acts of mischief or nonsense on the part of these ethereal hooligans, but this was no small act, and after a year of searching for her missing egg, Beatrice knew it was time to try something else. She had made up her mind some time ago, but hadn't been ready to leave her youngest draggling, the missing egg's twin, and his four older siblings. But now, they were ready. They could take care of themselves. So Beatrice would leave them alone to take care of the mountain while she went to find the fairies and ponies. She would confront them directly. She was determined to find some answers and perhaps some justice. But Beatrice wasn't born yesterday. She knew that a confrontation between a full-grown dragon and the fairies and ponies could get complicated, and she would need some help. What she needed, she felt sure, was a knight. Without the help of a knight, the other humans would instantly take the side of the glittery, cute fairies and ponies against a dragon, which could lead to bigger problems. A knight would make Beatrice's quest more legitimate, help her communicate with the other humans, and serve as a guide. And besides that, the knights were... The knights were... amazing. They were like their own special kind of magical creature, except that they weren't. They weren't magic at all, which made them even more amazing. They had great adventures, shiny armor, great songs and jokes, quests for knowledge. She could go on. This all seemed wonderful to Beatrice, and she never turned down a chance to hear stories of the great deeds performed by the famous knights of the nearby city of Durga. She had always hoped to meet one of them, and now was her chance. But how would she get a knight to help her? Especially on a quest for justice between a dragon and the fairies and ponies. The knights were choosy. They didn't help just anyone. And while knights and dragons weren't exactly enemies, they were wary of one another. It wasn't unheard of for a knight and dragon to fight each other to the death over some small misunderstanding. Beatrice knew she would have to proceed with caution, and as she considered the situation, she itched to begin her journey. But first, she would need to say goodbye to her children. Beatrice turned toward the top of the mountain, her mountain. This place was under her care, and it had flourished ever since she had claimed it. At first, it had been choked with dry pines and smothering under a thick blanket of dead leaves and needles, preventing any new green life from forming. It had been begging for her blaze. When she had set her flame to the mountainside, it had rejoiced, and galloping flames had raced along the hills and rocks faster even than Beatrice herself could fly. The walls of fire had run along her planned courses before they fizzled out against rivers, cliffs, or trenches. She had herded the fire, flown above it, walked within it, kept it on course, Dragons feel fire as an extension of their own selves, and such was Beatrice's precision that there had been no loss of life. When it was over, Beatrice had looked proudly over the smoldering ruin of her mountainside, ready now for a new start. Today, years later, her mountain was teeming with life. Vegetation and animals of all kinds grew in abundance among her well-maintained streams, valleys, and forests. There was safety here, since no one would be foolish enough to attack a mountain claimed by a dragon, and there was always plenty of food for everyone. Including, of course, Beatrice's own children, her draglings. She felt a flicker of worry as she thought of them and wondered how they would fare without her while she was away. 
Beatrice, despite her imposing size, wove her way silently and smoothly among the trees and brush near her lair. She arrived at the clearing near the caves where they all slept, let forth a mighty roar that could be heard for miles, and then sent a pillar of flame soaring into the sky. She knew her children wouldn't fail to ignore her call. As she scanned the sky waiting for their arrival, she saw a swooping dragon miles away by the cliffside waterfall. That better not be Asriel, Beatrice thought. She had told him not to bother those goats. She took a deep breath, let forth another roar and blast of flame, and stomped her foot, sending a tremor through the earth. Finally, out of the woods came crashing her youngest draggling smudge. He was running furiously. He couldn't yet fly more than a few feet at a time. When he got into the clearing, he didn't stop running. However, he kept going straight toward Beatrice, roaring. Smudge, slow down. Smudge, please do not run into me. I am not in the mood. He had almost reached his mother and showed no signs of slowing. Beatrice took her eyes off of him for a moment as she looked up and saw more circling shapes in the sky coming closer to the clearing. Slam! Beatrice bellowed. Smudge, no, you cannot slam into me like that. Smudge, off. No, no, do, do not bite me. Get off. Smudge suddenly toppled off of Beatrice's shoulders and let out a yowl of pain. Smudge, are you okay? Smudge, I'm sorry, but I don't feel bad for you. I asked you not to do that, and I'm not surprised that you've hurt yourself. As Smudge writhed on the ground, Beatrice's other draggling started to arrive. Azrael and Petra, her two oldest, were the first to land, closely followed by their younger sister, Edwin. But where was Lyle? Mom, what's wrong with Smudge? asked Edwin. He hurt himself, said Beatrice grimly. And you're just standing there? Oh, Smudgy, what's wrong, Smudgy? Are you okay? Smudge snuggled up to his older sister, still whimpering pathetically. Beatrice cleared her throat. She would have to start without Lyle. Children, I've called you here because I have something important to... Oh, Oh, Smudgy, you're okay. You're okay, Smudgy. Mom, I think he's really hurt. He's fine, Edwin. By the way, Asriel, where were you just coming from? Um, I don't know. Asriel swished his long tail across the ground while avoiding eye contact with his mother. You don't know? I was just, you know, uh, over on the mountain. Were you bothering those goats? No. Asriel! I wasn't bothering them. I was just looking at them. Asriel, you being there is bothering them. It scares them, Mom, said Petra. I wasn't scaring them. I was just... They couldn't even see me, Mom, said Petra. Yes, they can. They can see you. They know when you are there. What were they doing? Were they climbing up the mountain? Mom, said Petra again. Yeah, they were, said Asriel. Exactly, because they were scared and they were trying to get away from you. Mom, look, Smudge is my baby, said Edwin, cradling her little brother in her front leg. Asriel sighed in exasperation, igniting a nearby clump of flowers which he quickly extinguished with his tail. But mom, I don't want to hurt them. I love them. I would never eat them. Unless one fell. If, if they fall, I can eat them, right? Or, or would that scare them? Would they just think I was trying to make them fall? Oh no, they probably think I want them to fall. Oh, goaties! I'm so sorry, goaties! Mom, said Petra. 
Azriel, please, just please, leave the goats alone. Mom, said Petra. Petra, what? Beatrice finally turned to look at her oldest daughter. Mom, look at Smudge. Doesn't he look like he's my baby? Said Edwin. Yes, he looks very cute. What is it, Petra? Lyle is stuck in that cave again, said Petra. Beatrice closed her eyes briefly. Oh, no. Please tell me he is not. He is... Well, why did he go in there again? Smudge, please don't climb on me right now. Petra, why did he go in there again? Mom, don't push him off. He might get hurt again. Well, said Petra thoughtfully, it was probably because I threw a shiny human cup in there and told him he could have it if he could get it out. Asriel tapped his mother's front leg with his claw. Mom, do you think the goats will ever learn to trust me? What? No, goats and dragons aren't magic. Petra, wait, you did what? Smudge, please, get off of me. Good grief, how am I ever going to leave all of you here alone? There was a sudden silence in the clearing. Then all of Beatrice's draglings started talking at once, demanding to know what she meant. Lyle chose this moment to join his family in the clearing. Got it, he said triumphantly. Check out my sweet cup. It's shiny. It's tiny. It has a teeny, tiny, little, baby, wavy human handle that I can sneak a little claw through. Lyle demonstrated, pretending to drink out of the cup. Mmm, I'm a human, and I love this coffee. This coffee is delicious. Mmm, coffee, coffee, coffee. What? What? What is it? What's wrong with everybody? Mom's leaving us, said Petra. What? said Lyle. Edwin started to whimper. Smudge started growling. Children, please listen, said Beatrice, crouching low on the ground so she could look into her draggling's faces. You all know that my egg, the one that should have hatched with smudge, was stolen a year ago. They all nodded solemnly, and Edwin wrapped a wing protectively around smudge. While all of the other dragons in the family had their egg twin, Azrael and Petra hatched together, as did Edwin and Lyle, smudge was growing up alone. Beatrice continued, for a long time now, I felt sure this had to be the work of the fairies and the ponies. But why? asked Azrael. Why would they want to steal our egg? I don't know, Azrael, but I intend to find out. I will eat those ponies and fairies for taking Smudgy's egg twin, said Edwin. Lyle nodded vigorously. Yeah, why would they do that? I can't believe it. We need to get them and roast them. That's what I think. Those butt-showing zingzongs. No, listen. We won't solve anything with violence, especially if there is a chance that the egg hatched after it was stolen and that the baby is with them still. Beatrice felt her heart lurch as she said the words out loud. She never let herself consider this possibility. It was too painful. Mom, Petra said, are you saying that we might have a brother or sister out there somewhere? I don't know, Petra. Maybe. No way. Edwin said, squeezing Smudge closer. I have no way of knowing if that's even possible, and it's highly unlikely. I've never heard of a draggling being hatched by anyone other than its mother, but we can't know for sure. And either way, it's time the fairies and ponies were confronted. They've been getting out of hand. But it's dangerous and complicated. They are powerful creatures, and I can't do this alone. So I have decided to ask for help among the Knights of Durga. Beatrice's draglings began to clamor around her in excitement, all speaking at once. Mom! Mom, can we go? We can help! We can help! No, I'm sorry. I can't take you with me. I need you all to stay here. Together you can keep the mountain healthy and strong and keep Smudge out of trouble. 
Besides, I don't know what I'll be facing, and I can't risk putting you in danger. When are you going to leave? asked Petra. I think it needs to be right away. I've been waiting until I thought you were ready for this responsibility, and now you are. Do you have any questions about the mountain or how to care for it while I'm away? The draglings were silent, staring at their mother with wide eyes. Beatrice extended her wings and enveloped them, pulling them close to her body. I love you all so much. There was some sniffling from Lyle and a low growling from Smudge as Beatrice nuzzled them. Then she took a deep breath and lifted herself into the air, wings whooshing mightily, and headed down the mountain. This was the way of dragons. Once they made up their minds to accomplish something, they began at once. The draglings were motionless for a few moments, watching her receding form. When they could no longer see her, Petra took a deep breath and looked at her siblings. It was up to them to be like their mother now, and adapt as she was doing. You heard mom. We have work to do. The dragon scattered quietly, and Petra sat still for a moment, organizing her thoughts and planning what she would need to do. She watched her siblings. Asriel was pacing through the clearing, kicking rocks and mumbling. Lyle was having a pretend tea party with his new cup. Edwin and Smudge were up on the ledge playing. Wait, no, that was just Edwin. Petra sat up straighter, scanning the surrounding woods. Where was Smudge? He had a habit of disappearing quickly, and it never took him long to find mischief. She launched into the air, flapping her wings in agitation. Asriel! Edwin! Lyle! She yelled. I think Smudge is gone! Talora Shamsa was a knight in training. She was the best at everything. She made absolutely sure of that. She was the best artist, the best fighter, the best climber, the best astronomer, the best singer, the best dancer, riddler, reader, writer, mathematician, strategist, potion maker, juggler, poet, archer, trombonist, stone skipper, frog catcher, bird caller, everything. And even if there was something she wasn't the best at, she knew she could get there because no one would work harder, try harder, study harder, or fight harder than Talora Shamsa, who her friends called Laura. Or they would if she had any friends. But Talora didn't really have time for friends. She packed her days with the pursuit of being the best at everything, and most importantly, the pursuit of ultimate knighthood. It's not as if she didn't want friends. It's not like when she saw other knights in training her age talking and laughing and sharing things that it didn't bother her. It's not like she didn't sometimes pretend that she had a best friend that she could talk to. She did, and it did, and she did. The problem was, no one in Durga seemed as serious as she was. She had always thought that things would be different at night school, that she might find others like herself, but it hadn't turned out that way. Talora just cared about everything way too much, and everyone else was somehow less complicated. At least at night school in Durga, people looked up to her, Back home, she had been considered weird, but in Durga, her instructors and classmates did seem to respect her. But whenever she tried to get close to someone, to actually be herself, she felt like people looked at her like she had some giant booger hanging out of her nose. Like everyone was awkwardly acting, like everything was normal, even though she was standing there with a huge booger hanging out of her nose and not doing anything about it. 
And try as she might, Talora couldn't quite seem to figure out what the booger was exactly, or how to get rid of it. So she spent a lot of time alone. Alone was where she was today, in fact. She had taken her pack and her knife and was taking a day trip through the woods outside of Durga. She had decided that her foraging skills could use some polishing up and was searching on hands and knees for some edible mushrooms when suddenly she was hit from behind by something hard. Oof! She grunted as she toppled face first into the dirt. Instantly, she was on her feet, looking around her. There was nothing there. She pulled out her knife and crept slowly forward. Hey parents! Yeah, you! Are you looking for a podcast your kids will really love? Well, we made one just for you. And for us. As genuine, all-natural kids ourselves, we know what makes a fun and interesting podcast. So we decided to make it ourselves. Every show is packed with interviews, stories, and on-the-ground reporting. We have interviewed everyone from scientists to Grammy Award-winning musicians to NFL quarterbacks. Listen to Wild Interest wherever you get your podcasts. Who did that? Who's there? Other than a boulder a few feet ahead of her, there wasn't anything to see. Talora turned slowly in a circle, poised on the tips of her toes, and suddenly whipped back around to stare at the boulder. Had it just... moved? Yes! Talora stared as the boulder seemed to sprout legs and scuttle a few feet to the left before sinking back down to the ground, motionless. What are you? Talora breathed. Was it some kind of rock animal? She'd never heard of a rock animal. It was big, but she couldn't see a head or tail. Gripping her knife, she inched closer and closer. Was the rock smoking? Yes, the rock was definitely smoking. She was close enough now that she could have reached out and touched it. Now that she was so near, she could make out more of its shape, just the tips of claws showing from the tucked-up feet and... Was it covered in scales? Talora raised her hand to touch the rock, but before she could... (coughs) Wham! Something slammed into her chest, sending her flying through the air. She hit the ground with a thud, knocking the wind out of her. Before she could recover, something clamped down on her boot and began to drag her along the ground. Her arm hit a root and her knife went flying. What was this? What had her? She could just make out a long, spiky tail and wings. Was it a... No. It couldn't be. Suddenly, the creature stopped dragging her, released her foot, and with a roar, threw itself at her chest, pinning her solidly to the ground. There was no doubt about it now. Talora found herself face to face with a small, smoking dragon. Everyone knew that even small dragons were dangerous and very strong. Talora wasn't sure what to do. It didn't seem to want to eat her or anything, but there was no way that she could get out from under its huge weight. The dragon regarded her for a moment, then flapped its wings, raising a few inches above her chest, and landed on her again. It did it again, and again, and again. Was it bouncing on her? And again, and this time, Talora was ready. As the dragon lifted off her chest, she swung her legs up and over her head, rolling in a backward somersault until her knees hit the ground. She sprung to her feet. Once standing, she spun around and looked directly at the dragon, who froze and looked back at her. It was breathing smoke out of its nostrils. It was mostly gray, 
with barely visible streaks of purple and green at the edges of its scales in two rows down its back. It had wings folded neatly at its sides and four legs ending in fiercely clawed feet. Now that it was standing fully upright, Talora could see that it was about the size of a small horse and stood almost eye to eye with her. It was looking at her curiously. Then, suddenly, it threw itself over onto its back. Its legs went up in the air, and it started thrashing around wildly, making little grunting noises. It just barely tipped back far enough to roll over its own head and shoulders in a backward somersault and come to its feet. Talora smiled. Was it copying her? It flapped its wings and stomped on the ground, puffing smoke. Talora started backing away slowly. The dragon just looked at her. She took a few more steps. Oh no, she braced herself. Slam! The dragon head-butted her, sending her flying. She landed in a heap, and before she could get away, it had her by the boot again. Was this some kind of game it liked playing? Then, from far away... Both Talora and the dragon froze because this roar had not come from the dragon with Talora's boot in its mouth. This roar was bigger, deeper, and further away. Could it be another dragon? Talora's dragon, or rather the dragon attacking Talora, looked at her. Then it began to furiously drag her away from the path and into the brush. It let go of Talora's boot and started racing around her, clawing leaves and dirt over her. She tried to get up, but it pounced on her chest. She lay back down, and it continued burying her. What was it doing? Why was it hiding her? The deeper dragon roar was getting closer. It was her dragon now, and it seemed to be calling to the other one. There was an answering roar, followed quickly by another. Wait a minute. That sounded like more than one. Talora felt panic rising in her chest. Exactly how many dragons were about to converge on her? There was a great deal of wind and dirt. Leaves and branches were sent swirling into the air. Through the cloud of debris, she saw it. No, not it. Them. Two, no, three dragons. From what she could see, they all looked larger than the dragon currently sitting on her, but none of them seemed to be full-grown. Talora, pinned beneath the smallest dragon with twigs and dirt in her mouth and nose, took a deep breath and prepared herself. Hello again. I hope you enjoyed the first episode. Next week, we are thrilled to invite special guest artist Kathy Stevens-Pratt, whose artwork you can see at kathystevenspratt.com. We can't wait to see what she comes up with for Fad Pack. For tickets to the live show, please visit dirtroadtheater.com. And now we'd like to share some moments from the live show of episode one. Hi, Colin. Where did you get the idea for your image? Why did you choose this particular illustration for today's episode? It seemed like the image of the egg being stolen was really the beginning of the entire adventure. Uh, so I really wanted to, to capture that moment. Yeah, it was really fun for us to see. And I love, I'm excited as we keep going through this to see what images the other artists choose as the thing that pops out at them. I did want to introduce you to two other people who are instrumental in um, the creation of Fad Pack, Graceland and Oliver Spillane. Um, Graceland and Oliver helped to create the story 
and um, were consultants throughout the process. And you also heard they're roaring today. All of the baby dragons, the young draglings roars were Graceland and Oliver. So Graceland and Oliver, my question for you is, how did it feel to see it perform today? Yeah, well, it felt really cool. Well, by the way, I am Graceland Splane and... It just, when we started this, it just made me want to cry with happiness because I remember the day that, like, this idea sprouted in my father's head and, like, seeing it getting performed like this, seeing illustrations for it and seeing how that tiny seed just sprouted big and strong just filled my heart with joy and happiness. I, I did some things in the podcast and, and I and I did the, some smudged sound effects, like the grunts and growls. Does anyone have, did anybody do any doodling that they feel like sharing? I did the picture of the scene where the Percy. Um, oh, that's awesome, Ryan. Lucinda's feeling shy. She doesn't want to um, talk about it, but she wants me to. She drew this when we first saw the head of Beatrice in the illustration. Oh. And then this is Beatrice. All these swirls and lines of Beatrice. And then these are the fairies. This is a bus and these are some flowers. That's the egg in the nest and all those lines means it's rattling and then that's a fairy over there. I really like the artwork. It was interesting. I love seeing how these scenes from the stories are different in everyone's head. Everybody has a different a different picture in their head. Thank you for sharing. Why did you choose this story? You know, Graceland's idea was to have a story about dragons and where the fairies and ponies were mean. It just kind of went from there. We would just talk about different things we wanted to happen, figure out how they would happen. And so uh, that's sort of what you're going to see unfold over the next episodes. Okay, that's it for episode one. If you have any questions, comments, or artwork that you'd like to share with us, please email PetraTheDragon at gmail.com. Petra handles all of our communication for us, and she has promised not to catch anything on fire. If you enjoyed the show, please share it far and wide. You can also help others find the show by giving it a rating on iTunes. Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights is made and recorded by Dirt Road Theatre in Northfield, Vermont. Our guest artist for episode one was Colin Bright. You can find more of his work on Instagram at at Colin Draws. Fad Pack was written and created by Dominic Graceland and Oliver Spillane and edited and performed by myself, Marin Langdon Spillane. The music you heard was composed by the amazing Nathan Lee. You can see more of his work at nathanlee.net. We will post all these links in the show notes for you. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you can join us next time.